Today, a fifth of the Church of England's 12,500 parishes are estimated to be estates parishes, meaning that they include at least 500 social housing homes. However, half of these estates currently have no Church of England worship centre within them. Over the last two years to try and address this, the Church of England's Estates Theology Project has been pairing up local ministers, vicars and priests with academic theologians. The aim is to help churches and their neighbours to reflect on what gifts God has given them to share together. Welcome to Finding the Treasure, good news from the estates. I'm Liza Ward. I grew up on the Hume Estates in Manchester back in the 90s. I've seen estates from the inside and seen at first hand some of the problems that come from them, including addiction, poverty or crime. And for this episode, we're in Birmingham. Are you all from around here? Yeah. yeah. And what's this place called? Rubric. Rubric. Have you lived yeah. here all your lives? Yeah. yeah. Object. Yeah. Is it like It's terrible? all right. It's all right. No, it is all right. <laughs> it's it's a bit boring. It's a bit dodgy. Are you up to much more today? Stand here. <laughs> no, 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 we don't know what we're doing yet. We yeah, might go up to the liquors or something. Yeah. There's nothing really to do down here. Like, I've got a 14-year-old son but, and he doesn't actually go out but, because there are so many children like round about his age who do cause a lot of trouble and obviously he doesn't drugs want to mix. as well. There yeah. is a lot of drugs and about. And they do carry, tend to carry knives around as well. The history of the word rubery goes all the way back to the 17th century from the word roberry, meaning rough hills, a reference to the nearby Licky Hills. Today they still loom large over the faceless concrete council blocks, busy streets and dual carriageway that cuts through the town's heart. There used to be a psychiatric hospital, then called an asylum, in Rubri, the Rubri Hill Hospital. There was an insult that was, you know, somebody could be described as a bit Rubri. And that was relating to the hospital and the people who lived there. But all of those things live in the memory somehow. The Reverend Claire Turner has been at St Chad's Church in Rubri for five years. She has a background in the arts. She's a former curator at the Icon Gallery, a contemporary art space in Birmingham. Rubri still calls itself a village, which is slightly peculiar when you visit Rubri and discover it's nothing like a village at all. It sits on the edge of Birmingham Diocese. Years and years ago, when people moved to Rubri, perhaps in the 40s, the 50s, as the housing started to develop there, a whole section of people moved out of Birmingham to be somewhere that felt more rural. It was very much seen as the beginning of the countryside, in a way. So I suppose that's where the village name came from. But of course, as Birmingham has expanded and different types of housing was built in that area, it feels a very different place, an outer estate. There are bits of housing in Rubri that border the Frankly estate and some of that was built as the slums were cleared in the centre of Birmingham. Some of the housing is uh, privately owned, some of the bit on the Birmingham side. It's a real mixture. 
Helping the Reverend Claire Turner in Rubery is the curate, Sean Clancy. He grew up in a small, tight-knit mining village in North Nottingham, and straight away he noticed that there was something different about Rubery. It's split in almost four directions, in four corners. So we have the A38, which is a main dual carriageway, running directly through the centre of the, the town, which divides north and south. But also there's a east-west border. So half our rubri is in Bromsgrove, which is Worcestershire Council, and the other half is in Birmingham Council. So those lines, those divisions, run straight through the heart of the community as well. So as the Bromsgrove side and the Worcestershire side is those who have seen as done well for themselves and got away from Birmingham, whereas those who are on the Birmingham side is where the estate is, where the flats are. So they're seen as the poorer side of, of, the, of the split within Rubri, essentially. With the estates, I work with the community CAF and simply about being with people, about sharing experiences, letting them ask me questions on my faith, on religion, but also having input into what they're doing. And it's about forming those relationships, which I think is going to make the biggest impact, broaden each person's sense of the other, because at the minute I don't think they, they often meet. In desperate need of shelter from the harsh Midland rain, we've come into the local community cafe where I can undertake one of my favourite pastimes, which is a cup of tea and a chat. The first welcoming smile that greeted me as I walked into the converted sports hall was that of Adam Booth, a benefits advisor for a local charity. Adam works closely with Sean and Claire and he proudly told me about how the community cafe came into being. It's been running for nearly two years now. I got involved 18 months ago. And, yeah, a lot of people were living in the same, like, blocks of flats locally. Didn't even know other people, and it's really formed, like, strong bonds in the community. There is a struggle with community cohesion on both sides. So you've got the Bromsgrove side, as I... It's easiest to refer to it as, which is... It is relatively affluent. Then you've got the Dealen side, which is where this is based, which is under Birmingham and it's a council estate with a lot of needs and social issues which is why we've sort of set up here and there's a lot of social issues regards to people on benefits um single parent households I know of what I hear on the about on the estate that there's a lot of drug and alcohol issues around so this calf part of the reason was to just try and help people have somewhere to go and have a safe space Holding her beautiful newborn was Karina. She's grown up here and seen the divide between private and social housing firsthand. My cousins and stuff, they all grew up in that and we actually lost my cousin when he was 24 because of gang life. You know, he'd gone out drinking, it had all gone wrong and whatever and he ended up passing away and that's something that we really, really struggled with as a family. When he died, his missus was actually six months pregnant. Uh, uh. 
so he actually never met his second daughter and she's a, she's a beauty and she's a credit to him and my dad lived in Kings Norton all his life he grew up on that estate which is why we lived around there he, when him and my mum got together and married they they were quite privileged in that they got their house and started paying the mortgage before they had the kids like so there's, there's three girls me and my sisters but my aunt she lived with her mum and dad still when she fell pregnant and got married so she stayed in that council house so she stayed in that environment all her life so we saw it because of my cousins whereas my dad tried to shield us from that as much as possible we never really saw any of that unless we went there and it was like complete parallels if you know what I mean I think with us it grounded us because we had the privileged side of life but we also saw the not so privileged side of life so we weren't judgmental of other people that we didn't know no, not everybody has everything because we saw it and I think that's, that was the best bit of our childhood. We saw both sides and we grew up like that. So my kids get the best that I can afford, but if I can't afford the best, I don't worry. I don't live the best life, but I live a happy life and to me that's enough. Karina was joined by her best friend Natalie. She too had grown up here. I try and give my kids the life that I never had sort of thing. I had a good life, don't get me wrong. We lost our mum when I was 12. My dad ended up having a stroke when I was 15. So he ended up losing his job, so he started to struggle. And then things sort of just calmed down with us. Like He couldn't give us the Christmas he wanted because he couldn't afford it because he had to keep four of us at bay and stuff like that. And then when I turned 16, he kicked me out had nothing to do with me, threw everything out that I owned. And then I went back to him when I was 18, so me, it's just living life with my kids while I can, because you don't know when it's going to stop, sort of thing. So these are my family now. I've had, I've gone through so much, and I've had social on my back three times. I went to give up the last time, she wouldn't let me. <laughs> so it's just one thing after another, really. So that's all it is, just bringing my kids up the best as I can. The story of estates is often one of being forgotten about, being overlooked, and often at its worst, being labelled and demonised. Reverend Al Barrett is parish priest in the neighbouring Hodge Hill and is convener of the Estates Theology Project. He's teamed up with Claire to reflect on where God is present and active within the estate in Rubery being given labels like scroungers, work shy, uh, ghetto, those kind of words used by politicians and the media tell a story about a place, but they also tell a story about the people who live in that place. And I think subconsciously, it's quite easy to let that story about your place, however true or untrue it is, become internalised and become part of your story. In the DNA of Christians a lot of the time is that sense of promising transformation and seeing themselves as the bringers of that transformation. But actually, in an estate context where the church, particularly the Church of England, often has elements of privilege about it, the church somehow risks seeing itself as that kind of slightly more comfortable, slightly more privileged saviour of people who in one way or another are broken or lacking or, or deficient. 
And so I think one of the theological challenges for estate churches generally is to work out and to even find a new language to say, how do we think about the gospel, the good news here? Is it something that we possess that we want to give to other people? Or is it actually something that we're discovering together with our neighbours, receiving the gifts and the challenges of our neighbours as much as we believe we have gifts to offer our neighbours too? It's the biggest temptation in ministry, I think, that all of us have to resist is the temptation to try and fix something. That's been an ongoing tension and a challenge in my ministry in Rubri over the last five years. The church itself sits just outside of the estate. The church isn't actually on the estate. The estate itself is called the Cockhill Estate, and it's actually reasonably small. It's a reasonably small area of Rubri. But to walk from the church up to the estate, one of the spaces you can pass through is under the flyover, under the A38. And it's a huge space. We had a mission apprentice work with us for two years, somebody who was developing her skills in mission and ministry, but also helping us see with new eyes our community. And she said to me one day, well, that space underneath the A38, it's the crossing point between that border, Bromsgrove and Birmingham, and the north and south of the A38. That's almost the point at which those two borders collide. And when you stand underneath the A38, it's cathedral-like in its proportions. It's a peculiar non-space. So we conceived this idea of inviting young people who would quite naturally live on both sides of those borders to do something creative in that space. And working with those young people, we commissioned two artists, Jackie and David Grange from Creative Solutions, to develop a project in and for that space. The artists had worked with the young people for a number of weeks, responding to them and their energy. It was the summer where the floss was the thing, the dance move. So this idea of simply gathering to floss under the flyover emerged. In the evening, we had no idea what was going to happen. But a bunch of young people turned up, as did about 60, 70 of the community, to eat samosas and sausage rolls and to learn how to floss and floss they did and it was it was one of those moments where you just think this complete non-space started to become a space and something was born out of nothing and this border suddenly became a place of opportunity and possibility rather than a barrier i had to see this cathedral-like space for myself and taking a two-minute walk from the community camp, we arrived at the majestic location. The second event was dark. It was in the, in the wintertime. The artists covered up the streetlights. They brought down a pile of television screens that sat just here underneath, um, underneath the bridge. 
And on those screens, there was a, a kind of video installation, a soundscape playing that the young people had recorded, photographs, still images. We tend to get a little bit overlooked, I think, because it's on the edge of Birmingham, and then the nearest big town of Barnes Road. So it's a bit sort of stuck in a little bit of a valley. Yeah. People were issued with some um, UV chalk, so they were asked to go and write messages to other people on the concrete. We had some torches, some UV light torches, and there were some lovely moments where people were going around with their torches uncovering these messages from the young people about what it meant to live here. And some of those messages were just positive, fun messages, I love Rubri, you know. And some of them were actually some quite personal memories and stories of what it meant to grow up here and struggles that the young people had faced and all the rest of it. So it was a really lovely event. We served hot dogs, there was hot chocolate. It was um, a gathering of the community, somewhere where people would not normally gather, somewhere where people would normally avoid. And it came alive on that evening. I think one of the things that fascinates me are the paradoxes of this, the playfulness of those moments on that border. But we've also acknowledged the, the sometimes costliness of being border crossers. The borders in Rubria are not as hard as the border between Mexico and America, but there is, there is always some kind of cost or, or effort in, in that border crossing. So that, that paradox of playfulness and cost of, of border crossing feels like something to hold together. It's neither one solely or, or the other solely, but, but both. Next to join me for a cup of tea and to bravely share her life story was Kerry, a single mum who lived in Rubri as a child but when she returned, experienced some border-crossing issues of her own. She's also struggled with addiction in the past, and although it hasn't been easy, she's been clean for eight years. My partner wanted to isolate me away from my family and friends, so it was a case of moved to an area, and then the one day it was a case of just pack everything up and move over this side where... I didn't know anybody. Because you get labelled. No matter what changes you make or how better your life becomes and things like you're still under that label. You will always be an addict in other people's eyes and that. And if you're in a close community, that can be very hard. I think it was harder for me because I didn't choose. Not and I know one chooses to get addicted to it in one way or another because of how it takes hold and how it starts controlling you. You don't realise until it's past that point. But it's the, the person that you become, this lawyer, this thief, this... You don't have any regard for anybody else and because of all the circumstances happening, the kids going into care and being with the wrong partner, all that lot, it's all had a consequence. My partner, he's been passed now, it'll be three years this February coming. So, overnight, <clears throat> basically I had to learn to be a mum because when I was in the house, I wasn't allowed to do anything. 
It was a case being in the background. He controlled everything. Bank account. <laughs> what they ate. What they could watch. Things like that. And So when they... Ultimately, I had the breakdown. And... Mark passed in February. By the October, the kids were taken into care because I wasn't... I was there, but I wasn't there. And I spent 56 weeks in court fighting for them. But halfway through, just after I'd done the freedom course, because I started thinking differently, that it wasn't my fault. They gave me that fight. I can be that mum. I can be that person that they deserve to be. Everything turned out well, and the kids returned home, and you know, I was coming up to a year, the 19th, and my girls have come back. The Freedom Project that Kerry mentioned is a free nationwide programme designed primarily for women that have experienced domestic abuse. It's made a huge difference in Kerry's life. It's another part of my identity. I can do this, do you know what I mean? And the, the group of women here have just have been absolutely amazing. And a lot, a lot of them know what I've been through because I feel so comfortable in explaining it. Through coming here, I've met Sean. And then um, we attended the Messy Church and the kids absolutely loved it. So now we're going to go every Sunday into all the Messy Churches to go and when I met Claire. She was so... I don't know, around rope, and I just felt everything called spilling out. Adam Booth again. There were church that seemed to do so much for the community. Like, we'll have people come down to our project down the road in Longbridge who are also coming to Claire and Sean, and it's like we can sort of work together to see what is best for those people. So, But St Chad's as a church, I don't know if it's being biased, as I say, or knowing that I do them, but they just seem to do so much... And they're so welcoming and they're just here for the community and the people in it. We're all, in their eyes, we're all God's children. St Chad's Church has become an important part of many people's lives in Rubery, including Natalie and Karina. That relationship came about very, very unexpectedly. We go to messy church, anything that's on. We go to the Christmas thing that she did last year. We're coming to the Christmas thing she's doing this year. Uh, we do everything with Claire that's going on that's kid-friendly. We do all of that. We're not a Sunday, let's go to church people, but we do go to church and do all the bits. Daniel loves it, absolutely loves it. Loves to sing and all the rest of it, but Claire is actually going to be Stevie's godmother. Oh, fabulous. That's great to hear. She's helped us with so many things and our life would be a hell of a lot more difficult and I feel so much more support here than I ever did in Kings Norton. hard at times it really can be hard at times but if you can get yourself the right group of people I, I when I first moved around here I wouldn't speak to anybody I keep myself to myself but I'm not mixed with anything or anybody and I felt so comfortable when I moved around here and so safe I actually came out of my shell and Natalie helped me a lot with that and, and another friend Claire and, and my friend Leanne did because when I started sort of saying hello to them in the lift and stuff if, you, if you're moving into an area you don't know, you need, to a certain extent, protect yourself, but also be open to making friends, because if you can make those friends, you get yourself an extended family. And in my experience, they can be certainly a ten times more valuable than your blood family. 
Last Christmas, I got myself into a big hole. Couldn't afford to buy my kids Christmas presents or nothing. And Corona helped me with the help of Claire and my kids ended up having a Christmas because they helped with it. We are each other's shining torch, if you know what I mean. If one of us is down, the other four will pick it up, pick them up, yeah. and vice versa. Like like she said about the Christmas, you know, I came, I went to Claire and said, like, Natalie's on the bones of her backside. She's got nothing for her kids. Anything you can do to help, and they helped her with a hamper. They got some presents for the kids. We all chipped together, even down to wrapping paper, didn't we? We, yeah. you know, we got it all <laughs> sorted, and like the kids, they didn't have the best Christmas, but they had a Christmas. And we were all determined that they were going to have one. So people say to me, what do you get for Christmas? The smile on my kids' faces. Yeah, exactly. I don't want nothing. I just want to see the smile on my kids' faces. That's my present. It's another cold, wet day. I walk away with the same feeling that I get from walking off any estate. It's quite strange. You can experience so many different estate environments and yet you walk away with just a feeling of you've just made a whole heap of friends. It's going to take me a while to actually digest the amount of suffering that I've heard. Inspirational determination, but I feel very optimistic about how close they are with each other, how much they clearly care for one another. I think there is good news that the hard borders that we assume are there, the barriers, aren't as hard or as high or as impermeable as we have imagined. I think the opportunity to see differently, that we discover when we stand alongside those who live and work on estates, the different light that they shine on the questions we're asking. There is profound good news in the discovery that the places that look and feel like edge places are, when you look and listen hard enough, places teeming with life, abundant life, that is God-given life, and that actually, if we learn new ways of looking, if we learn new ways of listening, actually we will we'll discover actually what's been waiting for us as a huge gift but a gift that is challenging, a gift that will change us. Finding the Treasure, Good News from the Estates, has been presented by me, Liza Ward, and it is a whistle-down production on behalf of the Church of England's Estates Evangelism Task Group. And we'd also like to thank Jackie and David Grange from Creative Solutions, for the use of their soundscape created from the Funky Flyover Fandango project.